Dave Alcoholic, and um, I'd like to welcome the new people. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, or if you're coming back, welcome back. Um, I, uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and, uh, <clears throat> and I get emotional a lot when I speak, and it's super annoying. Um, <clears throat> and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try not to this time. And uh, I said, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and it felt like the tears coming in. I'm like, uh, <clears throat> but that wasn't the case before I got sober. That's, that wasn't happening. And uh, Rob, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure working the steps with you and uh, walking with you and being <clears throat> our friendship. And uh, what what an absolute absolute miracle and uh, a testament of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, you know <clears throat> Rob worked the steps I think in six months and he started sponsoring people and uh, and it wasn't he he left out some stuff um, one of the things that uh, he didn't talk about was um, the six hour fist step that we did outside of Woodblen. I think it was like in January or something. It was freezing cold and uh, on a metal chair. And then three days later, he, was dis he disappeared and was loaded, which was baffling to me at the time. Um, and then he would pop up again and then he'd, be, he'd disappear again. And uh, <clears throat> the, the company I worked for, the owner, I would talk to her about like guys that I was helping or whatever. We were real close. I've known her for a long time. And Rob was missing one time and, uh, and I was told that his roommates, his door was locked and I told <clears throat> I told her that <clears throat> I said, you know, I'm, <clears throat> my gut is telling me that he's dead. <clears throat> what a miracle, seriously. <clears throat> you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, it takes you from a place of like, for me, like such, such a low, desperate place. And uh, I remember thinking, um, if I can't stop today, when am I going to be able to stop? And I didn't know anything about bottoms or how AA worked or steps or anything like that. I, I didn't know any of it, but I just thought when I was drinking and using, if I can't stop today, how am I supposed to stop? And for me to be in that place, and then my, my sobriety date is March 27th, 1995, for me to be 26 years sober and have an amazing life is testament to Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, and the process of the 12 steps. And um, so I, uh, I grew up in Huntington Beach, and uh, I, had a, I had a really good family. My parents are awesome. I'm really close with them. Um, they were, they're like biker hippies and, uh, they, they kept using drugs from the sixties and like, all the way up until I was like 14, I think. And, uh, so they were, I grew up like in a household where they were, they were still, it sounds really crazy, but they were good parents, but they were like selling math and doing math, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they'd cut off like the house the housewife next door because she's getting out of hand, you know, they have like <laughs> standards with it. You know what I mean? But, um, so I grew up in this, in this household, they were very loving and very supportive. And,
and uh, and I technically my first drink was like I think I was seven years old, and I went around the house that I remember they had a they were having a party, and there was like a kiddie pool in the backyard with big ice blocks, and everybody's leaving all their half the empty beers around, and I'm like just killing it with them when I was like seven or something, but um, that wasn't the start of the progression, but. Um, Anyway, so I, uh, I was, I, when I was like, I think I was uh, 11 years old or 12 years old, I started competitively running and uh, I'd run like five K's and 10 K's when I was like 13, 12, 13, and I was good. And I got into high school. I was the only freshman on varsity. Um, I was really, I, I did really well. And, uh, and throughout that time, um, I wasn't one of those people that felt like, like you hear in AA, people feel different their whole life. I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel different until I took a drink. And then I realized like what was missing in my life, like as far as like my insides and, uh, and right, or, or I thought so. And um, so I was, the story is, is that my, all my friends, like it, it was like the summer after my junior year, I was a young I was like, I graduated at 17, so I think it was 16 at the time, and uh, and my friends started drinking and smoking pot, and I'd get in these big arguments with them, and uh, just because competitive running, it doesn't work well with that, and so I had, um, I ended up, I got, I would argue with them, and then I was down in Newport one time, and with these people that were older, and they bought some 151 and Coke, and for whatever reason, I had the red solo cup. I drank some, I got a little buzz. Cops came, I dumped it out. And, uh, but I remember I looked at my friend and I said, we're doing this every weekend from now on. And it was literally like, like the, I mean, it was like the light shined down on me. I mean, alcohol affected me. <clears throat> the phys physical allergy kicked in a little bit, but I dumped it out. And the actual, um, I love the effect that alcohol, alcohol produces. I absolutely love it. And, um, so the next time I drank, I think it was the next weekend and I drank a bottle of night train and I blacked out and that's kind of how it went. Like, I don't have like a really exciting drunk log. I, um, I drank a lot and I blacked out constantly and I, I was a person that got hangovers and I puked all the time and, uh, and it was just like a thousand miles an hour. And, and then I started, um, I started using drugs and when I would use drugs, for whatever reason, when I, whenever I would use drugs, I wouldn't drink one drop of alcohol. Like I couldn't even ingest it and get it down. And, uh, and so there was a period of time where I was using a lot of drugs and I, um, I'd gotten arrested and I got, uh, I had to go into drug diversion. And, uh, in fact, I remember I, my parents were, you know, they like, well, I'll back up a little bit. So I was, I was using drugs. I was homeless. I thought at the time, but I could go home. I just couldn't use or drink. So I <laughs> declared homeless by not willing to not use or drink, you know? And so I, um, you know, I, my parents found me at this house and, uh, and they said, Hey, do you, um, and I had already gotten arrested and gotten charged with possession. And, um, and I was back out again. And, and, uh, my parents said, Hey, do you want to go to, um, this place called Hogue? And, or do you want to, or you can stay in our motor home. I picked the motor home and, um, my mom would bring me weed every day because she didn't want me using drugs anymore, you know? And so that was like the beginning. And she said, why don't you just smoke weed and drink just so you don't get out of control? And 
that's exactly what I did. And, uh, and it, weed was annoying, but I drank a lot and alcohol did exactly what I needed to do at that time. And, uh, and that's really when my alcoholism progressed. And I, and like I said, I just blacked out constantly. I, I, the physical allergy would kick in and there was no stopping me. I drove constantly, even when I didn't have some place to go, I drink and I think, let's go somewhere. Like it just, all, every bit of my, in, in, my inhibitions were gone. It was, it was, uh, and that's just like, for me, I got sober at 22 years old. So when I look back at that, you know, somebody had just shared in a meeting today about like, they, they remember their last drink and how important that is. That was 26 years ago. And I got a built-in forgetter that will rationalize anything. And, and I cannot rely on my last drink. I cannot rely on that being some sort of experience that keeps me sober. What I rely on is it is very clear to me in my behavior now and knowing how I drank and the physical allergy and how that kicked in, how I couldn't stop, even sometimes when I wanted to, which I usually didn't want to, that part is what, what shows me that I'm an alcoholic. And uh, so I came, I was on a court card and uh, I came into AA and I, Actually, I came in another 12-step program because uh, I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, I was a drug addict. and uh, But then I went out in the parking lot halfway through and drank beer. And um, But I wasn't, I wasn't an alcoholic. And, uh, and so I ended up, um, I was in that meeting. And this guy, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't going to identify as a newcomer. And um, it came around and... I was terrified and I just said, uh, Dave addict, you know, sorry for the people that are a little rigid in here with that. But, um, anyway, so he came up to me and, uh, this guy came up to me afterwards and who became my sponsor. And he said, he goes, it was Dave. Right. And for me, that was, uh, really significant because I was, when I came in, like I said, I had never, when my, even when my parents mentioned Hogue, I had never been around any treatment centers. I didn't know about Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in 1994 at that time. I didn't know, I didn't have, all of my friends drank and used. So I walked away from every single one. I didn't have one single friend. I do remember when I moved from the motor home to my mom's craft room, I do remember there was a AA book on the sewing machine. I think somebody gave it to my brother or something who still, you know, is functioning alcoholic, but, um, but that's it. Like I didn't have any, I didn't know anything about it. And so I was terrified. I um, was on a court card and I did feel like, like people smiling, like that, that was, a, that was, I liked that because I was just in complete fear. And then this guy says it was Dave. Right. And I, and I, and I, I remember thinking like in my mind and it sounds silly but i remember thinking man this guy cares and for an alcoholic who's just terrified absolutely terrified you know somebody i love that someone said about a year ago i heard somebody say that alcoholism is a disease of loneliness and it's so true i so identify with that and uh and i was so lonely and so terrified that this guy showed that he cared enough to just remember my name and um so I started talking with him. I kept drinking. I went to some punk, some bar, watched some punk band. He was there. I remember seeing him. I blacked out. And the next day he said, hey, why don't you come to a meeting? You know, very strategically, I'm sure. And, uh, and I, and I, I, you know, it was a few days later I, I ended up, in fact, my last drink 
was like a couple of 32 ounces. It wasn't even like a big deal. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. That description was perfect for me. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I knew something about it. I knew I wasn't living the way that I was supposed to be living. Like this cycle of just needing to be high or to drink constantly. And the next morning, and then sometimes just, you know, I constantly had hangovers. And so I just get over the toilet pop the beer and just try to pound it down just so I can get rid of the hangovers. So, and, and just hopefully not puke. And it, it and I, I mean, to a normal person, it's probably pretty clear that that's not how you're supposed to live. But for me, slowly learned that that's not how I wanted to live. And, uh, and so I started going to meetings and, um, this guy said, he goes, Hey, listen, um, you may want to, um, at this point, I admitted to him that I thought I was an alcoholic. And he said, well, we are going to work the steps out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you might want to go to um, AA because there's a little more solution there. I'm just saying what he said, if anybody's offended. But <laughs> that's what he said. So I, um, and so I started going to AA and, and he said, okay, we're going to read. And so we would read each page. And then he said, we're going to start working steps. And I didn't know that I could not work the steps. I, um, I, uh, so he said, uh, you know, I, so we talked about step one and then step two, I didn't believe in God. And, um, and it wasn't that I didn't want to, it wasn't that I was resistant to the idea. I just truly and honestly did not believe in God. It just didn't like, I remember saying like, you know, not at all. And I said, not at all, like really. And, uh, and what he said was, um, he said, well, let's do this. Because I told him step two is kind of contingent on that. And he said, let's do this. Let's, uh, why don't you get on your knees and pray to God that you don't believe in and ask God to bless the people that you love. And, uh, and that's what I did. And in doing that, I don't remember how long it was, maybe a couple weeks. I did that every day and I started to feel like I had some sort of faith in something like I felt like I like I believe in something and then I would try to break that down and think what is that what is it that I believe in and it would vanish and then so over a very slow period and this this came true in a bunch of areas of my sobriety and through work the process of working the steps and character defects is what I found is is the action is important right because I can't put the thinking before the action I have to take the action and so I learned that I needed to take action by getting on my knees and praying and then that would strengthen. And then, and then all of a sudden I'd think like, okay, so what do I think God is? And all of a sudden it'd be gone again. And so for a long time, I just stuck to getting on my knees and praying. And, and uh, so he said, okay, so we're going to, we're going to work four steps. So we did our four step. We wrote everything down. And, uh, and by this time I did my fifth step um, with him at, like 60 days sober, which is about the time that I met my ex-wife, you know, like a good alcoholic. And, uh, and so we ended up, um, that, that, that fourth step and that fifth step that we did, I remember being 100% honest. We went through everything. He said, any deep, dark secrets, I told him everything. And then, uh, and then after, um, after that, uh, I had gotten a different sponsor later and I did another four step. And the reason that I, that I mentioned that is because it's really important for me to remember. It's really important 
to share that experience. And I've had that experience over and over that second, fifth, fourth and fifth step that I did had a ton of stuff that wasn't on the first one. And that's because of the onion, onion peeling deal. Like I couldn't see myself. And so that is true at 26 years sober. That's true of why I do an inventory every year or two inventories every year, because I don't see myself. I don't, I think I do. And then I get into a certain place in my life and in my sobriety, in my marriage or in whatever the situation is, and I don't see myself. And so if I am regularly committed to doing an inventory, then I'm able to uncover that stuff. And uh, so I went through, did my inventory, made my amends, and, uh, and then I, <clears throat> I, did, I did 10, 11, and 12. I used to do a 10-step. Um, my buddy used to do this 10-step, and, and he told me he would take a, a notebook and he would write down all of the positives and all of the negatives for the day. And so I'd put like um, all the things that I thought was important that I've committed to in my sobriety, like, you know, uh, going to a meeting and talking to my sponsor and talking to three other alcoholics. And, and then if there was something else, like I helped someone or some other event happened, then that would go on the plus. And then if I didn't do those things, that would go on the negative or if I was in defect or something, and then I grade myself. The problem with the grade is that... Um, I think people tend to fall into two categories. They fall into like, you need your covers pulled. And then the other category is you beat yourself up. And so I'm of the beat myself up variety. So I'm way ahead of you before you don't have to pull my covers. Cause I've already, you know, <laughs> way ahead. And so I'm like awesome day B minus, you know, and like never, ever really give myself credit. So anyway, that experience, um, I will say that like that, that's not really directly what it talks about doing it in the book. For me, that worked really, really good for me for a period of time. And that was from another, my best friend at the time who was sober and he shared that experience with me. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that, that there's things that I do in Alcoholics Anonymous that are directly out of the book. And there's things that I do that are not directly out of the book and, uh, and, or in my program, I guess I should say. And the reason why I bring that up is that I think that it's important for me to, um, to not be overly rigid. It's important for me to um, practice the 12 steps as it's outlined in the book and then more and to seek different things. I mean, even step 11, is it's about seeking other spiritual avenues. And it's really important for me to have an open mind to that. Um, I hear a lot about different people and getting discussions and we're in this Facebook group, that's a sober group and these discussions and of these overly rigid and some of them are 30, 40 years sober. And they're so, so wound so tight with rigidity that, that, you know, it's, it's uh, the ego takes over. And I mean, I remember a guy said, he goes, I don't read anything that's not AA approved literature. I said, nothing? Like nothing. He goes, nothing. <laughs> it's not AA approved, I'm not reading anything. And I don't wanna to get to the point. I don't think that any, this is, this is just for me. This is my experience and, and my opinion, I guess, is that for me, I wanna evolve spiritually. And I don't think that that includes becoming more exclusive and more rigid. I believe that it's more about inclusivity and, and becoming less rigid and feeling spirituality and the joy that comes in. And um, so anyway, I'd met my, my ex-wife at 60 Days Sober. We stayed together for, I think, 13 years. And uh, 
have two daughters and, um, and she was sober also. And we, uh, she started drinking the year, uh, the year before we got divorced and, uh, and she still drinks today. And I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous, um, because I am, uh, I'm a disaster. And I'm a disaster in life. I'm a disaster in life when I'm not applying the principles. I mean, I've, I've created more wreckage in sobriety than I did before I got sober. And so if it wasn't for AA, my kids wouldn't have stood a chance. And uh, my, uh, my ex-wife um, continued drinking and... Uh, and, you know, she was, she went to visit my daughter up in, uh, at college a couple of years ago, I think it was. And, uh, <clears throat> she, uh, she made, sent some weird text messages. And so my daughter went back to check on her and she was drunk and, uh, she tried to hang herself and my daughter found her. And, uh, <clears throat> And she said, and, and she said, I need help. And uh, she goes, I'll do anything. And one of her best friends said, I, I can get you into any treatment center. And she's ready to do it. And I think it was like six hours later, she said, you know what? I think I need to do equine therapy and yoga. And that was her answer to trying to kill herself and her daughter finding her. And that's alcoholism. That's alcoholism. I mean, and so <clears throat> without Alcoholics Anonymous in my life, that's what my daughters get. A cup, I mean, I'm going to go the same route. And uh, so anyway, I, um, <clears throat> so I, as I, I was about 10 years sober and, uh, and I was struggling with my belief in God. I, it was super limited every single time that I would hear people like I, like you, when I would read in the book and it would talk about like, um, or people would share in a meeting and say, God loves you. He'll take care of you. And, uh, and it was very much, uh, for me, it, it sounded, it was, I would attach that to some, um, issues that I had with organized religion. And, um, and then I would share with friends about like what, what my belief in God is. And they, and it was more of like, you know, a positive energy source and, they would say, oh, yeah, 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 me too. And they'd say, you know, he'll take care of you. He loves you. And so I would understand that that's not what they didn't understand what I was saying. And so what happened for me was it like separated myself over and over and over. And I kept separating myself from Alcoholics Anonymous. And, it, and when I would, when you look at the third step and people were relying on God and having almost like a knee-jerk reaction to rely on God, I wasn't feeling that. And I, there was a big disconnect there. And uh, I was, I was at a, so my ex-wife said, Hey, I want to, uh, take, I want to start taking our kids to church. And for me, I thought that's great. I'd like to take them to church because I, you know, I'd like them to have some sort of, sort of belief in God because of the struggle that I've had. I thought that would be healthy. So, um, we're going and she said, you know, I, uh, I want to get them baptized. And she said, do you want to get baptized? And, and when they did the baptism, and this is nothing against any religion or anything. This is just my experience. They said, uh, when you go up there, he says, you know, do you accept that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And for me, I was like, 
not really like and so <laughs> i made this appointment with this priest and uh and i so i go into his office one day and i said hey uh listen i um i was thinking about getting baptized there's that one part that like i don't really buy into that and i'm in alcoholics anonymous and uh and sometimes what we do is we take action and the, the results follow. And I don't know if that's one of those things where I should be taking action and then I'm going to get results later. But I don't want to lie, you know, about that when I'm up there. And, uh, and he said, he said something that was significant for me was he said that, you know, <clears throat> some people would get upset for me telling you this, but some of us don't believe Mary was a virgin. And the reason why that was significant for me was simply because I realized like they don't have it all figured out. The, the issue that I had in Alcoholics Anonymous is I'm constantly thinking that I'm comparing my insides to your outsides of what you say. And so I'm thinking that you have the whole God thing figured out and I'm separate and I'm on like an island away from everybody. And uh, so I got baptized and I didn't do anything, but whatever. I got baptized. So then... A little more time went on and, uh, and I was struggling still with the same thing. And I was really struggling with, with like, you know, people saying like, he loves you and he'll take care of you and like this thing. And I'm like, well, like I was really, I, I was feeling the energy source in the universe. But then when people would talk like that about God in Alcoholics Anonymous, I would just feel separate. And I, and I could, it just constantly was this, this uh, separation that I had. And so I was... <clears throat> I went to this retreat up in Malibu and it's at a monastery and there's this guy, Father Anthony, he's this monk that's up there and I made an appointment to talk to him. And I said, Father Anthony, I have a problem with, you know, I told him the whole thing. Like I feel separate man. And, uh, and he said, he goes, Dave, that's okay. You just don't have a personified God. That's okay. And again, like I was from somebody who I thought was like an expert and has it all figured out is giving me, the, the grace to have my own ideas and what I feel, what, what I want to think, like it doesn't have to be at this rigid structure that I constantly, and nobody's even telling me it has to be that way, but all the history of all of the resistance to all of these things that I attach to, I'm thinking that it has to be a certain way. And again, I'm comparing my insides to everybody else's outsides and what they say. And, uh, and now, so one day I was watching Finding Nemo and uh, <laughs> watching Finding Nemo and there's the Eastern Australian current and the, the turtles, if you've ever seen it, the turtles get in the current and the current flows all the time. And what happened was like, I realized, sounds weird, but that's what I believe in God. I believe it's a constant source of positivity, always flowing, all good, all the time. And when I'm in God's will, I'm plugged in. When I'm working with another alcoholic, when I'm sitting down and reading with another guy and we're having like an, a vulnerable, authentic conversation, I can feel that source. And then when I'm in defect and when I'm in, you know, <clears throat> in the type of behavior I shouldn't be doing, I'm disconnected from that source. And I and once I came to that, I, I was I didn't struggle with the idea of God. Sometimes I notice it when people share. Um, and, and to be honest, when. <clears throat> I like to share that because I know how much I struggled for a very long time with that. And it's hard to be an AA and struggle with the concept of God at 15 years sober. 
I mean, that's for me, it was really, really hard. And uh, so I ended up, um, my ex-wife and I ended up getting divorced and uh, I ended up saying, you know, I just want to share my experience because this is, this is my experience through my sobriety. Um, I ended up, I remember I shared in a meeting, I'm not dating any more alcoholics. There's room for one nightmare. I'm the nightmare. I don't need another one. I don't want to know, like, are you going to do an inventory or what defects you're working on? Oh, you, have, you don't go to enough meetings. Are you going to meetings? I don't, I'm like, I don't want any of that. So met a girl at the gym and uh, lo and behold, she was a practicing alcoholic. And <laughs> I stayed in that relationship for six years. And, um, and for whatever reason, I couldn't leave. And it was really sick and toxic. And, uh, and I, there, there was time to, I felt suicidal in sobriety because of it. Not because of her, but because of, I was just trapped in defects in the bondage of self. And, uh, and sometimes that's what happens with me with the bondage of self. It's like quicksand. And so I, um, <clears throat> You know, I ran that till the wheels fell off and then it skidded on the frame and then finally wore all the way down. And I said, I'm done, you know, and uh, <clears throat> took a lot to become real apparent. And, uh, and, I, and I got out of that relationship and I, um, <clears throat> and then I, I dated for a while. And then um, I was at powwow if anybody's been to powwow it's awesome it's probably going to happen next year again palm springs um great a event i was at powwow and i was outside of the speaker meeting on saturday night and they uh this awesome speaker and i started talking to this girl and and she was talking about how much she loved the speaker and i was like i could like feel the chemistry but um <laughs> but she was dating somebody you know so um so I patiently waited for like two years, maybe. And uh, I mean, I would even go into, I would like to online dating and I go into like, I think, oh, this girl's so nice. Man, if Tony and Teresa break up, I'm gonna have to break up with this girl. I mean, I was just waiting and waiting. And, uh, and then one year right before powwow, I was, uh, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours and she said, hey, Tony and Teresa broke up. And I like went send and called her, <laughs> said, tell her to go out there early. And, uh, and we started hanging out and, um, and we got married uh, two years ago. And uh, she's 16 years sober and loves alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> I, um, Definitely better to date a sober alcoholic. Um, and uh, so, so I was asked to speak um, on Valentine's Day, actually. And, uh, and we, both, we both spoke together, actually. She was 10 minute, I was at 40 minutes, awesome. And, um, and I shared about I shared about my daughter who's going to college in Reno and that she, uh, that I hope that there's a place for her here someday and that she gets sober. And uh, 
think it was uh, five days later, I got an incoherent call on Friday night and, uh, and she could barely talk and I could barely understand her. She was trapped in her car that had flipped in the snow. And then the next day when she went to jail, she got out of jail and she said, I need to come home. So she came home and she started going to meetings and uh, I, she, I brought her to a meeting. She wanted to get her court card signed. And, uh, and I talked to a few people and uh, I kind of was sneaky a little bit about it, but um, I told this girl, Kylan, I'm like, hey, can you talk to my daughter? She needs to be here really bad. And then <laughs> she like went over, hey, my name's Kylan, you know? And, uh, and, and she, and, and she, uh, she started going to meetings and, um, and Alcoholics Anonymous, surrounded her and she's been sober ever since and she goes to a lot of meetings and she's involved in the fellowship and she got a secretary commitment and she is stoked about Alcoholics Anonymous and she's working steps. And for me, how could I not love AA? When I look at what it did for me in my life, from the place that I was to the place I am now, and I see what it can do for my daughter, how can I not be in love with Alcoholics Anonymous? And, you know, for those that are, what I hope for anybody who's new, or if you guys have been around a while, a few of you out there, um, what I hope is that by sharing my experience, that it gives an idea of the possibilities that can happen in uh, NAA. And, uh, you know, I do, I like this analogy and I like to share it because I, because working the 12 steps is really the program and, uh, and it's really important for me to share a message that has some structure. It's really important. And, uh, and I like the analogy that, um, that if, you know, if I had cancer and I need chemo and I go to the doctor and the doctor's like, listen, you're going to die. You need chemo. We'll start it on Tuesday. Why don't you start going to this cancer support group? So I go to the cancer support group and I feel better and I decide not to get the chemo. Doesn't make any sense. And that's what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous all the time. Go to meetings because meetings make me feel better. And I don't follow through with working the 12 steps and that's, that's what expels the obsession to drink. That's where that structure comes from. That's where I get the freedom is from doing the work. And, if, and I, I, I was leading this, this four-step panel and this guy that I sponsor, we were, we were, uh, we were going to it and he said, uh, he's like, man, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I don't even, like, I really am not looking forward to doing this four-step workshop. And I told him, I'm like, neither am I. Like, I'm never, I am not, you know, every once in a while you hear a guy that says, oh yeah, I just embrace the change. And, and I don't, like, that's not the case. I am resistant. My first thought is no. Like if it, unless it feels good, but otherwise it's no. And, and I consciously, that's my first thought, but my answer is yes. I led that with Ronnie and it was awesome to lead that. <clears throat> my answer to leading is yes. Meeting count is important. 
Meeting count is important. That's what was ingrained in me forever. Having a commitment is important. I try to have a commitment all the time. And that's, that's what, when I, at 20, 1995, I was told that constantly. Meeting count, you know, there's like the big, rigid, controversial meeting makers make it. Like people don't like that because they think that it implies that you only do meetings. If you look at the reverse of that, not going to meeting makers don't make it. Like when people disconnect from Alcoholics Anonymous, I watch it all the time and they stop going to meetings, I am no longer tethered. So for me, I have a set, what I do is I take, a, take my structure. I have certain meetings that I go to. I've, for periods of time, I've hidden, hidden in AA before. Go to different meetings all the time. Don't go to the same one. Don't sit in the same seat. And I cannot be connected and I can be real busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so for me, like I find certain meetings, I switch them up periodically if I feel like it's time to. I find certain meetings, I go to those certain meetings, I try to sit in the same chair and I try to get to know the people around me. If I, look, if I'm going to one meeting a week and I skip it, I'm going to no meetings a week. And I'm not tethered to Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. And, and I will become complacent. I always, it, throughout my sobriety, 26 years, I've been complacent many times. I didn't do an inventory for six years because I was doing inventories with guys that I sponsor. And I thought, I mean, I'm doing it with them. And I don't really think that I have, I mean, I haven't, I don't really like feel like I have much resentment. And then finally I did an inventory and it was absolutely life-changing for me. I've got to put pen to paper. I have to do the work. I have to take the action. And then I have to have meetings that keep me tethered and keep me reminded of why I need to come to Alcoholics Anonymous, why I need to be around newcomers, why I need to put my hand out and be of service. The guys that I sponsor, it's absolutely amazing. There's guys that I sit down and it is really inconvenient, super inconvenient to sponsor people. And, and to be honest, I, it's a, it's, I'm in like a place right now where uh, if somebody asks me to sponsor them, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to have to tell them no, that I can't because I'm, I, it's a disservice to them because I don't have time because I sponsor a lot of guys. That doesn't mean that I don't want to sponsor the guys that I have. I absolutely love the relationships that I have with the guys that I sponsor. I absolutely love sitting down. I wish I had 40 more hours in the week just to sit down and work with other guys. It, that is where the freedom is for me. And to watch a guy like Rob go from ab like literally on the street. I mean, he, he had a rental car and this guy rolled up on him and stuck a gun to his head and stole the rental car and his ID and told him he better not say anything because he knows where he lives because he has ID and then came back like 30 minutes later or something to ask for the password for his laptop that was in the car. <laughs> I mean, like, and I, and I love the story. I love the story about the, the police officer. That makes me emotional every single time I hear you say that. That's absolutely amazing. And that person is not an Alcoholics Anonymous. But the authenticity of, of me being honest and vulnerable to other people, which is what I learned to do in here. And that's what that was. And it's somebody who was willing to help. How could I not love Alcoholics Anonymous? I absolutely, I'm so grateful, so grateful that I get to have, there's a lot of people here that I know and that I love, and I'm so grateful to have those people in my life. And uh, I just want to say that anytime that I'm asked, the answer is yes, every single time, unless something else comes up. Anytime I'm asked. Meetings, I tether myself to Alcoholics Anonymous through uh, 
through as many meetings as I can without jeopardizing my relationship because I can get kind of busy with that. And, uh, and, and what I get from that is I get an absolutely huge, wonderful, full life. And that came from somebody who was in the motorhome just drinking 32 ounces and nothing going for me. I didn't even lose a lot. I had, I had nothing to start with. I was 22 years old. And one other thing that I want to say is that when I got sober, like it talks about that, you know, the reason why most, why alcoholics have to hit bottom is because we're not going to be willing to do the work if we don't hit bottom. And, and if you don't know if you're an alcoholic, you don't have to go try to control drinking. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. What I was told was, why don't you just sit in here, stay in meetings and see what happens. And I am so, so grateful that I didn't know I was an alcoholic, but I stuck around long enough to hear something because I was 22. Why would I admit I was an alcoholic at 22 years old? I was a drug addict, so I didn't have to be an alcoholic. And so I, I sat around long enough. I, I came in here long enough to hear the message and to identify with it. And I stopped looking at the differences and started looking at the similarities. And that did not happen right away. That didn't happen in the first month of me being here. So I'm really grateful that I didn't try to go out and try some controlled drinking. I'm glad that I came in here to hear the miracle and then I get the life that I have. Thank you very much.